What's up gamers? Welcome to Level 99 RPG Talk. As always, I am your host Philip. Remember, this is your RPG podcast brought to you by Vault RPG and releases each and every Thursday. It's the show where I dive deep into the greatest genre in gaming. Now, this week we are talking about Square Enix, more Square Enix, and an indie game I played last week called Legendary Gary. Let's get the episode started. Now, if you notice, the intro is a little bit different than it has been for a number of weeks. And that is because I listened to some feedback from people who have been following the podcast. And a lot of suggestions said that I should try to make this a more traditional have a more traditional release schedule, meaning that the episodes are longer, but they come out once a week. And I am all for listening to feedback. Uh, I started as a daily show because honestly, even though it was coming out daily, it was a way for me to really just dive in headfirst and just figure this thing out as I go. It helped me get into a schedule and a rhythm, and I was very successful for a couple of months. So I am happy to uh, you know, shift the, the way that the, the show happens based on how you guys want to listen to it. So thank you so much for the feedback. And I'm, I'm super stoked because what this has done is this has allowed me to in like optimize how the show comes to you. And I've got actual, uh, different sections and, uh, things for the show. So you will find that it sounds a little bit different but to me, it's a little bit more polished and I am all the time trying to innovate and optimize this show, make it as good as possible. So there you go. One of the big changes is to actually include segments in the show. And I am, I'm, I'm just going to go over them very quickly. What each, uh, what each episode's segments are going to be from here on out until I change them in the future. But for the foreseeable future, we'll always start off with what I'm calling a limit break. And that is a single topic that is very highly curated. It's something that I have been thinking and writing about for a week. So it's something that um, is sort of really highly curated and not necessarily me uh, going off the cuff or just thinking out loud to you. It is something that I have really sort of made pretty and, and it's going to be sort of like my philosophical statement of each episode. And then we will always then move into the noteworthy news of the week that re- that I really like or am really interested in. And hopefully you are as well. From the news, we will move into updates on what I'm playing currently each week. And then finally... We will do a what I'm calling a game deep dive where I take a specific game that I've played could be during the week or it could be a game from my past. But I'll take a specific game and really look at an aspect of it. Sometimes maybe I will kind of review it, talking overviews of the whole of the whole experience. Or sometimes I might take a specific element from that game and talk about it. At length, and that's sort of the main segment of the show. That's how each show will end. So there you go. 
those are that's going to be the general outline of each episode going forward. Let me know what you think about that, and and let me know how you like these segments after you listen to them in this episode. All right, so to start this episode off, let's begin with a bang with my one big power move with my limit break. Limit break. Square Enix has a serious identity problem. I don't necessarily feel it has anything to do with their current or future direction with their current or future games, although the remake of Final Fantasy VII remains to be seen. I believe their biggest crisis lies in the fact that they don't know what they want to do with their old titles. Square Enix, a company known for beloved RPGs crafted with heart and care, is quickly becoming remembered for poor efforts at bringing those same beloved games to modern audiences. So why is this so difficult for them? It's hard to say. And to make matters worse, it's not like they are striking out every single time. That's the perplexing part. Many of their problems seem to come from porting their SNES titles, their Super Nintendo titles. They've yet to release a version of Final Fantasy VI, one of the most cherished games in the series, that is truly definitive in the West. Some versions have performance issues, while others have translation issues, and the port to mobile failed at everything it tried to do, in my opinion. The port of Final Fantasy V tells a a similar story, yet to make matters even more weird, they released the Final Fantasy IV Complete Collection for the PSP, Remastering the sprites and general look of the game, remastering the soundtrack, updating the translation to incredible effect. Seriously, that's one of the more polished, lovingly made versions of any game they've published ever. If it worked there, why not try to replicate that? Why the poor efforts in the other games? The issues don't just lie in the Final Fantasy camp either. A number of reviewers of the recent Romancing Saga 2 remaster cite issues with the port. This from RPGsite.net. I quote, On the technical side, this is purely a straight port of the mobile version. Even the user interface is the exact same, only instead of tapping a screen, you're using analog sticks or the D-pad to move around. While I wasn't expecting much, it would have been nice if the developers had at least given the interface a nice touch up. When you blow the visuals up on a big screen, it just looks bad with its huge font and giant boxed windows, end quote. So a direct port of the mobile version for consoles and PC really square? If you dig further into that particular review, you'll find that to be the big drawback to that version of the game a lack of what appears to be effort and care on the part of the porting team. The recent remake of the Secret of Mana series actually was met with even more negative reaction, players being uninspired by the release. These are games, nostalgia and all, that can't even please the most diehard of fans. Square's mobile and Steam releases particularly have been a large part of the contention. 
The most recent whiff came a few days ago with the surprise release of Chrono Trigger for Steam. As the game met abysmal reception, gamers initially thought the version to be a lazy port of the previous mobile version, but that actually wasn't the case. And honestly, this makes it a little bit worse. This was a brand new version created solely for release on PC and updated on mobile. However, no effort was put into actually making the experiences optimized for each of those platforms. They weren't separate experiences. They were the exact same thing. Touch controls, weirdly like showing up in the Steam version and all. It was a mess. The effort and care simply doesn't seem to be there. I don't necessarily have the answers for this Square Enix conundrum. In my naive mind, it seems an easy task to simply make the classic versions of those games available on newer systems. Maybe that's too much to ask, though. Maybe it's too much to ask for them to do whatever they've already done with Final Fantasy IV. Make a version that simply looks better, plays better, sounds and reads better. But maybe that's going too far. Look, I wish I had the answers, Square, but I don't. I wish I could help you out, but I can't. In my mind, this beloved company only has so many other strikeouts before even their biggest fans start to lose hope in them. They do indeed have a problem, and I think it's a problem of identity. What do they want to be? A company stuck trying to improve a past that's not really broken? It's a problem, and it must be fixed soon. And that's going to be all for your Limit Break this week. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear a response. What do you think about Square's uh, port jobs recently? What are some of your favorites? Like I said in their uh, Final Fantasy IV Complete Collection, to me, stands is one of the one of the greatest one of the most polished things that they've put out but it seems like so many others are very lackluster it seems to be a thing from little effort and i you know i'm very careful to call developers lazy but these things these things keep happening and i don't know if it's lack of effort or if it's uninspired by the idea of porting these old games. I don't know what it is, but I would love to hear from you. What are some of your favorites? What are some examples of really bad ports from Square Enix? Let me know. Remember, you can comment on this post or you can tweet at me. I'm at Vault RPG. Let me know. Let me know because it's something that I really want fixed. It's something that I really want Square to turn around because I want a port or a remaster or a remake of Final Fantasy VI. I want that to happen in my lifetime, but I'm honestly scared at this point that I'm going to get something more akin to what's already come out on mobile. I'm going to get something that they tried to make look better, but in fact they made look worse. Or they try to update the UI or, uh, like I said, the graphics or the sprites, and, and there seems to be a disconnect in what they feel looks good and what the fans want and are happy with 
There seems to be some major disconnect there. And I'm worried that at the more these things come out and the more bad reaction they get in their minds, they're going to interpret that as we just don't want updated versions of these games. And that's just simply not true. At least for me, I want these things to come back and live on into eternity. You know, I don't want them to fade. And the only way that we get to play them is through emulators. I want these things to be around, but I want them to be as close to the original as possible. And that's what I felt like Final Fantasy IV the Complete Collection did. And I know a lot of people love the 3D remake of it. And I like that version too. But for me, the the Complete Collection captured the original intent. It didn't add voice acting and it didn't turn it into 3D. It was, it was the sprites. It was that look. But it was updated and it was gorgeous and it was beautiful. And the sound was amazing. The translation was really good. So I don't, I don't, I personally don't understand why this can't happen again. But before I say any more about that, let's go ahead and move on into the noteworthy weekly roundup for this week. First off, let's uh, go over to the PlayStation blog. And uh, it, this came out. Once again, I'm this is I'm doing this weekly. Um, I'm I'm catching up on a week's worth of news, not necessarily a day's worth of news. So this came out uh, February 22nd. Once again, a post on the PlayStation blog. It says Nino Kuni 2 Revenant Kingdom has gone gold and go behind the scenes. So this is an amazing post. I'd love for you to go over to the PlayStation blog and check this out because there is some really cool stuff here. From the post, I quote, Greetings, PlayStation fans. We know you're super excited about the upcoming release of Nino Kuni 2 on March 23rd, but we've got a huge update to tide you over. The game has gone gold, and March 23rd is the date. The wait is almost over for the sequel to one of the most critically acclaimed RPGs ever. The graphical upgrade from the first game is astounding. The music composed by Joe Hisashi is magical and the story created by level five is something that will keep you enthralled from start to finish. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to some of the behind the scenes. This is something that really speaks to me and is called kingdom mode. The article says our main character is of this story is Evan, a deposed king who must rebuild his kingdom. We didn't want you to just watch Evan return to glory as a ruler to truly have a significant impact. We wanted you to experience what it's like to pick up the pieces and build your realm back from the scratch, back up from scratch. That's where the kingdom mode comes in. This mode will allow you to develop your very own kingdom full of shops to buy items, forges to build weapons, centers to study magic, and even facilities where you can build an airship to travel the overworld map. You can spend hours in kingdom mode. It's so huge. It can be a game onto itself. And I'm going to end, end the quote there. This is so cool to me. I was super pumped for for Nino Kuni 2, but this is something that I had not heard about, um, but you're able to see screens here um, of this mode. And if there's anything that I love, it is building games and crafting games and sort of that city simulation type game. 
And it seems like there is an entire entire game of that within Nino Kuni 2, like I said, a title that I was already really excited about. So go check that out over on the PlayStation blog. Moving on, like I said, I'm going to talk more about Square Enix, and this is a little bit more positive, uh, but that Final Fantasy 15 over on Kotaku, it says Square Enix will still be rele- be releasing Final Fantasy 15 DLC into 2019. According to Brian Ashcraft on Kotaku, Final Fantasy 15, uh, quote, and a quote, originally Final Fantasy 15 director Hajime Tabata said he wanted to add at least three more add-ons in 2018. That was the plan. Now Tabata is saying there are four more incoming and all the DLC might not come out this year. So it looks like we could be getting DLC for Final Fantasy 15, a game that I need to get into. Um, another piece of news is that the demo actually dropped on the PC. That's the version that I want to get is the one on PC. And it looks really good. It looks really, really good. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And it looks like that game you're even, you're going to get, you're going to continue to get more out of that world. It's a game that took forever to come out. And now we're getting all kinds of stuff from it. Number three, Valkyria Chronicles 4 demo is out, is coming out in Japan. This is coming to you from RPGSite.net. All right, and I'll quote what it says. Sega has just made an announcement at today's. This is as of, this is February 24th. Sega has just made an announcement at today's Valkyria Chronicles 4 demo event in Tokyo, where a public demo version of the game will be available at the Japanese PSN store on February 26th. This is confirmed by an official Valkyria Chronicles 4 Twitter account run by the Empire characters, uh, Nicola Greff and Chiara Rosino. Now, the full version, it goes on to say the full version of uh, Valkyria, oh, no, okay. So, it goes on to say that this demo will let players try out the game up to Chapter 2, and the save data can be brought to the full game, which is super cool to me, and that's actually something that I'm going to talk about on next week's show is games that allow you to play demos and then carry the demo your save data over to the to the full game i think is really cool uh valkyria chronicles 4 looking great something that i tweeted about several times uh this is a game that i look at and i get really excited about but i don't need a new series and i don't need a new franchise i'm actually catching up on a lot of series that I should have been playing over the years, but I never got the chance to, and now I'm jumping into them. So I don't need other stuff piling on top of me. You know, I've been uh, mainly a Final Fantasy and Square guy my whole life. Now I'm getting into the Trails games and getting into the Tales of games. I don't need a whole, I'm getting into Nina Kuni 2. I don't need a whole other franchise on my plate, but Valkyria Chronicles is something that I look at and love the way that it looks and the way just how awesome the game 
appears to be. And I hear a lot of great things about the franchise and about the past games. So I feel like I need to go and, and replay the whole series. I need to play the whole series in prep for Valkyrie Chronicles 4. I just don't have the time. Where, literally, when am, I, when am I going to get the time? So anyway, if you are excited about that, um, I don't know if there's going to be a demo release in the West. Hopefully so. Um, but I just think it's cool that there is one coming out in Japan and you can uh, transfer your save data into the full game. All right, number four, Shining Resonance Refrain gets an hour-long English stream. And yes, I did watch all one hour. And honestly, it wasn't enough. I could have taken so much more. Once again, a game that I've never played, I've never heard of this series before, and and, uh, I know that it's been a while since a Shining game came out in the West. So this is sort of the reintroduction. This is a remaster of a PS3 exclusively in Japan and released only in Japan several years ago. So now we're getting the remaster. It's coming out wide here in the West, Xbox, uh, PlayStation and Switch. So big appearance in the West as the 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 reemergence of the Shining series in the West. Um, this article from uh, Jamatsu, is it Jamatsu or Gematsu? I think it's Jamatsu, right? Like Jim. I'm totally off there. Anyway, uh, this came out uh, February 23rd, and it says Sega of America debuted an hour of English gameplay from Shining Resonance Refrain during a live stream held earlier today. As announced earlier this week, Shining Resonance Refrain is coming to the Americas and Europe for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC this summer and then the video is here in this article um if you're interested in this game at all if you saw the trailer you saw the announcement from last week i would highly suggest you going to check out this um this video it shows off not only a lot of the game and a lot of the features combat just how the game looks and feels running around talking to people in towns but uh, the two people running the stream do a great job of explaining some of the systems and explaining some of the characters. And they honestly do a really good job of teasing a lot of things because they'll they'll say things that they're excited about, but then like stop or characters that they love, but then they won't really give a lot of information on them. So they did a really good job of hyping me up for the game. And then also the stream is in English. So we're able to get a real feel for what it's actually going to be like here in the West. So it made me even more excited about the game and I was already pretty darn excited. So go check that out. Once again, you can find that video. You can find it on YouTube, but uh, you can go to Jamatsu and look for the article about the Shining Resonance Refrain English gameplay stream. And last but not least, piece of news comes from GameSpot, and that's that Chrono Trigger surprise launches on Steam. And as I alluded to, it launched to some pushback and some negative uh, reaction because of the, the port that it was, the version of the game that it is. Initially, a lot of people thought it was just the port of the old mobile version it turns out that it's not it was 
supposedly it's a version that was created for PC and mobile, um, you know, together. In fact, they updated the mobile version to be this version. And I have heard a few people say that it actually plays a lot better than the original mobile version. But the disappointing thing to me is the Steam version is the exact same as the mobile. They developed them for simultaneous release and simultaneous uh, experience, right? But people playing the PC version expect a little bit more or expect something different. We'll just say that, right? So whenever you sit down on the PC, you buy it on the PC and you're sitting down and you're playing this game, at least me, I don't know about you, but at least me, when I sit down at my computer, I expect a different experience than whenever I'm playing something on my phone. At least, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but I know I play I play mobile games to be a little bit more casual and I know full game experiences are now coming out on mobile and I'm not discounting that. But even, even in that, if I sit down to play Chrono Trigger on my phone, I, yes, I want the touch, the the touch controls. Obviously I've got to have them, but I'm honestly not as invested (sighs) I don't know. Like, I just, I just don't feel, it just feels a little bit more casual an experience whenever I sit down in the computer. However, I, I want that to be a really immersive experience that I believe was created and optimized for that platform. And at least all indications to me say that it was not dedicated to the PC. It was not com- completely optimized for that experience. Because the UI looks the exact same as the mobile version. The fonts are the exact same. There are even some weird like touch control remnants. Like they didn't remove that. So just super strange stuff. And once again, like my limit breaks break said at the top of the show, they've really got to figure it out. And they've got to get out of this rut, this funk of releasing these ports that are just not great. But like I said, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get dragged back down into the rabbit hole there. So anyway, that wraps up your news for this week. Excited, excited to see what's going to come out next week and in the coming weeks. This is going to be a huge year for RPGs. I'm, I'm so pumped. Now let's move on to couple of quick updates on what I've been playing in the last week. And let me tell you, it's been a pretty good bit. I cracked off last weekend with Legendary Gary. I teased that last week. I was super excited about it last Thursday, which was the last episode. Uh, So I teased that I wanted to play that and a boy did I ever, but more on that in a few minutes because I'm going to, this is going to be the deep dive for this week is on Legendary Gary. Uh, then I tried out Regions of Ruin also on Steam, another game that I talked about last week in my list of indie games that I feel were worth picking up, and I was right on this. It was a game I found last week. I discovered it last week. I loved the description of the game, and that description was totally accurate and completely true. One review said it was a mix between Kingdom and Oblivion. 
And I was, and I said, man, if this is oblivion 2d, I'm totally in. And you get that. You definitely get that explore the exploratory vibe and the feeling and the adventurous spirit as you do in an elder scrolls game. And it is gorgeous pixel art. Um, I will say I did when I was playing, um, at full 1080p, I had personally, I had a little bit of trouble reading the font on the, the pixel background. Um, but I know that part of that is just my eyes. So what I did was I actually played in a lower resolution and everything was a little bit bigger and that made it a little bit easier for me. There's just something with the aesthetic, the way that the colors work fonts to me started to disappear a little bit and sink into the, that, the background. So I know that that easily could have been a me thing, but um, that was distracting to begin with. And I really wanted to play with a controller, um, but I found that pretty difficult. I, you know, this is something I would love for them to port over to like the Switch. And I'd love to play it on the go. I'd love to play it on that screen so I could you know hold it a little bit closer than my, my computer monitor is. Um, but I would I would need them to sort of optimize the control settings for an actual console or controller or something like that. But it's still worth, it's still worth a look. If you're on steam, go look at regions of ruin. I'm still working my way through Xenoblade Chronicles two, and I'm still loving every minute of it. I'm almost finished with chapter five. If you've been following along at all, it seems like I'm not getting anywhere in this game and that's totally okay. I mean, I haven't really made that, that much progress in this game and I am, completely fine with that everything i do in this game i'm having fun with leveling up blades doing quests doing the mercenary you know uh, leveling up the mercenaries sending them out on missions um uh, salvaging you know um everything i do i i love going around and looking for the heart to hearts it's just fantastic it's a fantastic game and now i'm kind of committed to plowing through the story. I I've got my characters at a really decent level. Um, and I've got a lot of blades that I like, and I, I I'm just ready to pick up some of those story blades that, that I just haven't unlocked yet because I'm not that far into the story. And then finally, I'm working my way through a smaller game called Revenant saga. This is for a review. The review will be published on switchrpg.com, which is another announcement. If you have not heard or read, switchrpg.com is now um, posting staff reviews of games. First couple are up now. One is a review of Lost Sphere and the other is a review for Dragon Quest Builders. I am working on one for Revenant Saga. So keep your eyes peeled on that and I'll continue to update as I get closer to being done. So there you go. There's the updates on what I've been playing this week. Um, but let me know what you've been working on. Once again, you can tweet at me at vault RPG. All right. Now on to the final segment of today. It is our weekly game deep dive and we are focusing on indie game legendary Gary from game programmer Evan Rogers who has worked on games such as The Last of Us and What Remains of Edith Finch two 
fantastic games. And now he has created a game himself that is also fantastic. If you follow me on Twitter, you will know as I played, I sent out several tweets. I'm sorry for those who got tired of seeing me talk about this game, but man, it was something that I am so happy that I that I found and that I dove into uh, because I got more out of that game than I have from a game in a very long time. It's a game, and I will, and you know, I'll I'll dive further into this. But it's a game that really, honestly, touched me in a way that a lot of games haven't recently, um, especially from an emotional standpoint. Let's start off by talking about the look of the game. That was one of the first things that struck me when I f- saw the first screenshots was the look, and I know that um, the guy hand drew the assets in this game. I'm so impressed. I'm impressed with the landscaping, with the sets, you know, um, Gary's house. You see a lot of that, but Gary's house, the detail in a lot of, in the things that you can't even interact with, with like his dresser and, you know, his, the couch in front of his TV and his, in his living in his bedroom. And then you go in into the kitchen Right. And you've got everything in the kitchen. And the only thing that you can ever interact with in the kitchen is his mother who sits at the kitchen table. But everything else is in the background and it's there. And there's a bathroom, you know, that nothing ever happens in. But there's a bathroom and there's an upstairs where nothing ever happens in. But you can walk up there and you can look around and you can see and things that you find there tell you a little bit about the characters that live there. He and his mom. And then you go outside and there's the garden, there's the the driveway, and then you go to the supermarket and there's a full-fledged supermarket. And as someone who worked at a supermarket for three years in college, it, man, it brought back all these feelings and this nostalgia of working in, in a store, especially because the store that I used to work for, its color scheme is, is green and white. You know, so like it, everything was matching up, was lining up, walking through there, walking through the aisles, talking to the the cashiers, uh, you seeing the pharmacy, you know, seeing the pharmacy, seeing like the deli. It was just it was it was surreal to to be in there, walking into the break room, walking into the back, which kind of matched the layout of my store, you know, that I used to work at. It was it was really well done, and once again. Talking about detail just for detail's sake, you know, detail to just tell a story without words was just absolutely phenomenal. And then that is just half of the game because every night you go into the video game, you're playing the video game, and then you see this world that is so imaginative and so just like everything, everything like the, the, the different designs of the creatures. I'm just like, how did, how did you think of this? How did you come up with this design? It's just, it was so creative and it, it really took me back 
to like playing games for the first time and seeing things that I had never seen before and being in, in a fantasy world or like it took me back to like as a child reading fantasy books and thinking of these things and it's like looking at it and I'm like this is showing me things that I've not seen before or showing me things that are really stretching my imagination. And so just looking at this game is an experience all on its own, aside from actually interacting with it. Just walking through this world that he created is a visual and really emotional, nostalgic trip and experience all by itself. Okay, so that's the look. The characters, there's not a character in this game that did not make me, there's not a character in this game that didn't make me for a moment stop and just think about them. Every character did it. The way that he portrays personality and individuality, everybody has their own distinct way of speaking, their own distinct way of acting, everything they, I mean, it's a a masterclass. And this is coming from someone who's who's studied fiction writing. And, and I like, I mean, my background is in English literature. Like I, I analyze, you know, stories. That's, that's, that's what I did in school. That's what I do now is I, I, I analyze stories and I analyze characters and this is a master class in every piece of dialogue and every action feels real and it feeds back into the person of that character there's not there's not a, there's not a line of dialogue that feels out of character because it was just thrown in there either for a laugh or for effect everything that the characters say feel like they are a those words are advancing that character's story in some way that obviously goes for Gary. And the thing with Gary is that you can control what he says. And that's another special thing. And another thing that really took the character to a whole new level because I was able to craft my own Gary and, and, and I'll probably never get that specific Gary again. And that's one reason that this first playthrough really impacted me so much because I'll never be able to replicate that game again. In fact, I mean, it encourages me to replay it because I do want to choose other options. But like there were there were times in the in the game where I just sat and stared at the screen and really thought about what dialogue choice I wanted to choose because I felt like I was actually making decisions for a real life person. That's how connected I felt to Gary. And I, and I I felt so connected to the other characters around him that I truly cared about what I said to them because I, I wanted that response. Like I wanted it to feel real for Gary, but then I, the Gary that I was playing, he was so, lost at the beginning that he really did come off as not a very likable person. So I said things as Gary that, that really pained me because I didn't want to hurt 
those other characters. But that's the I mean, that, that was the that was real for Gary at the time. And the thing is that I found myself as Gary goes along in the story, those answers that I would give at the beginning got less and less biting and sharp and more encouraging. Like Gary had an arc for me. And because of that, some of the other characters around him had arcs as well. That's the this, the, the the genius of the characters. And I'm still talking about the characters, the genius of the characters, because you look at the mom and you look at the way that she talks to Gary in the beginning and you look at her character arc with the end of the world thing and with the um, the 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 preacher that that you know she's following and and the way that those things happen in the story she talks to and responds to Gary slightly differently as she goes along and you have the control as Gary to sort of craft how that relationship continues and so that was neat and then um, his best friend you're able to through the game really craft how that friendship works and then how that guy ticks and acts as a person. His nephew, same thing. His brother-in-law, same thing. His sister, his girlfriend, same thing. Everything that those characters say and everything that they do feeds back into the the people that they are. And then as your relationships grow, you're able to respond differently. You're able to really craft how you interact with those people. And then once again, that's just half the game. When you get into the, the fantasy video game, the same thing. Um, and not, not to, in my opinion, not to the same extent as, you know, for story purposes, those characters do a lot of reflecting of the actual characters in real life. So to me, the, the depth wasn't quite as there in the video game and it, and it wasn't really supposed to, right? It's supposed to reinforce a lot of what's going on in the real world, but then also in a way it was a, it was a very poignant story in the action, you know, in the video game inside this video game. Speaking of the, of Gary's video game. I want to talk about because that was that was where a lot once again a lot of the genius I feel came into this because if the if Gary's video game is not there, it is a walking simulator, a point and click adventure um you're simulating Gary's life. If his video game is not there. And if you can't control it, that's what legendary Gary is. But because it's in there, it turns into an RPG because the game itself is an RPG and it's grid based, tactical turn based combat in a way that I've honestly never seen it before. I don't know if other games are out there like this, but the way that the combat is presented, I feel like really, really took this game over the top because I, I'll be honest to begin with when 
I had to sit down and 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 play the video game every night as Gary. A part of me, and this is to begin with, a part of me was like, ah, man, I just wish I could keep going as Gary. I want to figure out what happens to Gary. You know, I want to I want to figure out what happens to Gary. And then the combat within the video game drew me in and then and then midway through the game and through the last part of the game I was excited to get to every night and to get to click on Gary's computer and go inside the video game. I was excited because of the way that the combat is because there was a learning curve for me. There was a learning curve and it's presented in a way that I I've not really seen before because it, it, it is the grid base. It is the tactical. Everybody gets a turn, but here's the presentation. You select you, you wind up with three part with three playable party members. You select your move for each of those characters, but as you're selecting those moves, you can preview what the enemy is going to do, what the entire enemy team is going to do, whether there is one enemy or whether there is five enemies, you can click a button and see exactly where they're going to move. Even before you actually select your, your team's, your team's moves. So, I mean, you get to see what the enemy is going to do. So really the game is to react to what's being done before you actually make a decision. And then you can select your moves and you can see how things are going to play out without actually confirming. You can even select a move for a character, move on to the next character, select a move for that character and decide, oh, wait, 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 wait. I have a different strategy now. Let me go back to my other character and change that move. So because all of this takes place in this preview, as you go, it's like this live preview and then when you end your turn, then everything plays out as you've decided. But before you hit in that turn, you can literally is a live preview as you go. So what this game does is that it actively encourages you to experiment with different moves and different combinations and different ability selections. It encourages you to experiment and see what will happen. And then... The really cool thing is that even if you get three turn, like three rotations into the battle and you mess up and you just feel like you're not going to come back from it, you can rewind to previous turns and try it again. You don't have to start the battle from the beginning. You can go back two turns and say, okay, well, I know that that's where I messed up. So I'm going to try something different in this specific move that changes the entire outcome. It branches off into this whole other strategy and it changes the outcome of the battle and if you screw the whole thing up and you wind up losing because as soon as one of your characters dies the you know the enemy is won. so that's that, that's what adds the the challenge is and there's there's a lot of just amazing uh, amazing mechanics that go along with the combat but if one of your characters dies then then the battle's over and you've lost and the cool thing is you can just immediately you can just immediately replay the battle. You don't go to a death screen, you don't have to rewatch scenes. You just immediately 
replay the battle. So it doesn't punish you for failing because it's encouraging you to experiment and try new things. A lot of a lot of games actually even if they don't mean to, they discourage you from experimenting and trying different abilities and things because you're afraid if you if that ability doesn't work out and you wind up losing, you're going to get punished for it either through loading screens or through having to rewatch cutscenes or something like that or just playing the whole, you know, having to play the whole battle over. But this thing just lets you jump right back in, encouraging you to fail, encouraging you to try new things. So bravo there. And like I said, there are a lot of mechanics that add to the challenge and then add to how fun it is. Because I know you, me describing it to you, you might you might think, well, if you get to preview every move and you get to rewind and you get to do all this, it makes it easy. Not necessarily. It just makes it, it just puts the emphasis on strategy because the game assumes, I mean, all games at some point have to assume that you're going to win. Like that's the point. You're going to, you're going to beat it. So this game assumes legendary Gary assumes that you're going to beat the battles. So you might as well be encouraged to experiment and strategize because if one strategy doesn't work, you just immediately rewind, try a new strategy. So thank you. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. That was uh, so refreshing to see. So refreshing to see. And the thing is that, yes, that's tactical and that was turn-based, but what also makes it an RPG is some sort of progression or leveling system. And the way that the leveling system is incorporated in this game is just so brilliant because it's wrapped into the story like a lot, like, I mean, like a lot of other games. It's wrapped into the story. Like as you go, your character just gets stronger. I mean, that's that's a basic tenet of RPGs. But because it's tied to the garden, and every time you reach a story point or you talk to a character or you do something, you get a plant to plant in your real life, Gary's real life garden. And by watering those every day, that actually gives your characters within his video game extra abilities. So there's your progression system is it is so subtle and it makes sense within the confines of the story. Like Gary's just planting a garden, but yet it's connected to the video game, giving the the characters their extra abilities, making them better, you know, because that's the thing. Like when you start the game, those characters within that video game in the combat, they're they're pretty uh, it's pretty simple. You don't have a lot to do, but as you go, the enemies get more abilities, but you also get more abilities to combat those abilities. It gets really complex. And I love that it all centers around this garden and that's the progression system. It looks like a garden, but it's actually a progression system. So bravo. The story as a whole, like I said, really moved and touched me. In a way that the, the, the that a game hasn't in a long time, you know, part of that had to do with the subject matter. And when this guy who was raised in a very religious, you know, with a religious background and sort of the way that he was raised and his parent, his parent talks to him and and, and believes and, and how he is you know, walking through life, trying to juggle that 
with his own personal beliefs. And so it was just is very, it really spoke to me and I I honestly just needed it. Like I, I needed this story at this time, you know, so it's, so in a way legendary gear will always be special because of when it came out and where I was at the time and, at, you know, and, I, and, and when I was playing it and I mean, I've got to tell you, I mean, I got emotional playing through the game. There are some, uh, you know, I won't say necessarily like huge plot twists. I mean, this isn't like M night Shyamalan level plot twist, but there are reveals throughout the game that really impacted me in very deep ways. And, you know, if, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know, like I said, one time I'm watering the garden and I'm doing it through blurry eyes because of the reveal that just happened. And because of what Gary is going through internally and how he is growing as a person and how he is dealing with things that he has not dealt with in years and he's doing it and he's being an adult and he's having to pick himself up by, you know, by the bootstraps and figure this thing out. Cause that's the thing is like it, it does not color the fact that, that life is just hard sometimes like stuff happens and life is tough and we can either let it drown us or we can fight back and we can stand up and say, Hey, this is worth fighting for. And you know, Gary, Gary presents that message as a message that I will not forget. Um, and, and this is a game that I will not forget for, for, for forever. This is a game that I will want to, to, to go back to. And like I said, because of the, because of the dialogue system, I am going to want to go back and, and explore some other dialogue choices. I wonder if, cause I don't think that I quite like optimize, like optimize everything. I don't think that my Gary was the best Gary that you can get, but my Gary was the Gary that I got and he was the Gary that was, and he's the Gary that will always be in my mind and in my heart as that was my first Gary. So if you've played this game, let me know who was your Gary? Who was your Gary? I would love to hear stories of how, how, how your playthrough went. And the thing is the link was just so perfect. It, it was, it was, it was like watching an independent film because because of the length it just so happens that i'm able to interact with it just absolute phenomenal and and, you know i try not to gush too much about uh, about something because i don't want you to get the idea that it's not really as good as i'm saying because i'm being so positive but it's hard to be negative about this game and i know that that is an emotional response because I was emotionally attached to this game. It was, it's hard to be just completely unbiased. And I didn't even talk about the music. And that is a travesty and a half because the music honestly makes the game because it's so intertwined into the story and into the character. Like it was the character. It was, I mean, I just, it's, it's a piece of art. It's a piece of art. That's all, and that's all I'm going to say about it. 
That's all I'm going to say about it. It's a piece of art. And um, it's a very important game. It's a very important game. So that uh, so that's going to wrap up my deep dive for Legendary Gary. And that's actually going to wrap up the end of t- this week's episode. Um, if I if I still have you after my uh, after my long explanation of that game, thank you so much for listening. Um, and if you're on Steam, I highly, 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 highly suggest you go pick up Legendary Gary. Um, hopefully, my description of it made you excited or made you interested or made you curious about it because it's a game worth picking up. And I, I mean, I would, I would tell anyone to go at least try this game, go look at the trailer, go listen to the the music in the trailer. Cause that will give you a fantastic look at what this game is. So th- once again, thank you so much for listening to level 99 RPG talk. Once again, I am your host, Philip. Once again, this is the show brought to you by Vault RPG. And remember, you can find this episode on a lot of different podcast services as well as um, on Pinecast. You can find it on Pinecast. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook. I am at Vault RPG. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next episode next week. Go game your hearts out. I'll see ya.